Am I Reister or Am I Wrong with Mr. Ralph Amsden. Uh, first thing, is Ashley Babbitt a victim after being shot trying to enter the speaker's lobby at the Capitol building? Police officer Brian Sicknick dies. What the hell happened to Blue Lives Matter? Donald Trump's speech was like a hostage video. Maya Ponceto's interview with Gail King was an absolute violation. And she needs a, a, an old school whooping by somebody's grandmama. Uh, we're going to remember Tommy Lasorda and Deshaun Watson is extremely upset about the Texans handling of the GM and head coaching situations. And he has every right to be. Am I right or am I wrong is the intersection where sports, business, society and pop culture meet the truth. The truth is the most important thing here. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, fire facts only make sure you check your feelings at the door because no bs is allowed i only and ralph only keeps it 100 um make sure that you leave a five-star rating wherever you're listening to podcasts or if you're watching on youtube give it a thumbs up like all of that make sure that you subscribe tell a friend about it and you can shoot us an email i'm mad at unafraidshow.com or uh, you can hit him up on Twitter or me up on Twitter at Ralph Amazon at George Reister and make sure that you listen to me as well on Mad Dog Sports Radio Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. Pacific, 1 a.m. Eastern Time, Sirius XM 82 and our Pac-12 Apostles podcast and on Fox Sports Radio Sundays, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. So we'll start at the beginning, Ralph. Ashley Babbitt, she got shot. Entering the Capitol building. Well, trying to enter the speaker's lobby in the Capitol building. So I ask you, is she a victim? Yes. In, yes. In, in what way? She served the country for 14 years uh, in the Air Force. They sent her overseas twice, I think, and then two more times Um uh, to the United Arab Emirates. Uh, she comes back to, to, to the United States, um, has trouble getting her, her, her life in order is looking uh, for something to cling to and, and falls into, into sort of politics as a religion, which happens to a lot of people, um, especially in this day and age, especially with social media. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, you, you had this whole pizza gate thing start in 2016 and I just don't think we did a good enough job as a society owning up to the fact that, you know, we, we all thought that it would just go away. We didn't think it would get weirder and weirder and weirder. We didn't think that life would start to uh, imitate Game of Thrones and the Sparrows, you know, when, when they took over King's Landing. And that's exactly yeah. what QAnon is. It went well, mainstream uh, and it, it, it was never stamped out and, you look at an administration that saw those people as useful idiots, but they weren't idiots. They were human well, beings. Okay. See, but all right, we, we can get in, get into that part, but I'm wondering, is she a victim for being shot? Because like just the act of what happened to her and, she, and I'm like, she was climbing through a window trying to get into the speaker's lobby. You have them on video yelling, saying, do not come in here. You will be shot. And I'm like, you messed up like I like you play stupid games. You get stupid prizes. 
I and and also that actually stopped everybody from trying to get in. Like that was the thing that stopped everybody, I think. You think it saved lives? Yes, absolutely. I think it saved a lot more lives because had they had they just pushed through that door, they would have mowed a bunch of people down. You don't you don't you don't think that if they had busted through that door that more people would have been shot. That's what the, I mean they were promising. They said, you know, they said to the police that were the three police officers that were guarding that door and keeping their cool the entire time while people punched the glass to the right and the left of them and said F the blue and said all this other stuff and spit in their faces. You know, they told those cops, you know, step aside. We don't want the people. We, 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 we're going to make a way regardless. You're going to get hurt. But if you step aside, we want the people inside. And when you they say something like that. They can't let you to the people inside, though. Like, that's their job. Like, they, they did. cannot. They stepped aside. They stepped aside. They did what was requested of them. They stepped aside. And the entire time, there was somebody standing on the other side of that door with a gun trained on the open window. And he did what he was trained to do. And, you know, she swore an oath to defend her country from enemies, foreign and domestic. And she's going to go down in history is no different than Benedict Arnold. Um, But it doesn't mean that I can't make the choice to feel bad uh, about everything that led up to that point. Because I think the definition of tragedy is something that didn't need to happen. And none of this needed to happen. They were riled up. They were incited. And then it was a mob mentality. It was a literal mob mentality. And 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 uh, her death didn't need to happen. It was completely senseless. Yeah. It was completely needless. And I sympathize just as much with all the people online that say that they don't feel sorry for her as I do for her and her family. I feel bad for everybody. See, in- see, I feel bad for her in the sense of she got tricked and she got duped to giving her life. She essentially gave her life to a cause that didn't love her back the same way. That's the part that I feel bad about. I'm like, this is a woman who, who like it mattered to her what happened. Like it, like she had a love for the country. She had love for like a whole lot of things. But the fact that she did not, I like that, that her world got turned upside down. Because she believed in something, all that QAnon stuff and all of that, and she gave her life to a cause that was that didn't love her back. And a lot of it was just made up BS. And you, Ralph, have a lot of experience with that QAnon stuff. Like you have followed it, you've tracked it, you've seen people go down that path. And it's scary. Yeah. It is. It, it's very scary. I've, I've, you know, I've lost friends. I've, you know, uh, I've, I've been talking about it online all year long. I think if you go back and you look at my tweets from the summer, I said of everything that happened this year, the scariest thing was QAnon going mainstream because it's like the sparrows from Game of Thrones in real life. I fully believed. And then, you know, you have some influential people who are really getting into it. Former General Mike Flynn, former uh, Centennial Park bombing attorney, Lynn Wood. Um, you know, I, I had a lot of friends who were dabbling, who were putting a toe in the pool that I had had conversations with. Um, and I remember back in early November, I think on the day of the election or a couple of days after, the chair of the Arizona GOP was saying that I'm a fighter and I'm a warrior in this battle, not me, her. And I told her, I was like, you can't use wartime language. You can't do that, please. And I I literally used the phrase, I am begging you because there is no coming back when this turns violent. 
and she replied to me, the chair of the Arizona GOP, who would later go on to tweet, are you willing to die for all of this? Uh, she, she replied to me, I'm glad I have the laughing face emoji so I can laugh at your ridiculous reply. And it's like the entire thing is just incredibly scary to me because this QAnon stuff was started by a pig farmer in the Philippines with too much spare time. And it mirrored some things of that, like love of country and Christian values. And the worst thing that you can do to somebody is use their passions against them. And, and that's, that's the situation uh, that we're in is uh, thousands and thousands of people believe that our government is run by these elite uh dark, evil people who buy and sell children and drink their blood, yet that same government doesn't have the ability to protect the U.S. Capitol? Come on now. Yeah, I would see, that. that's the part that doesn't make sense to me. And, I, so it, and, and also, I felt bad initially. I did. I, I felt bad because when I saw that Ashley Babbitt died, I didn't feel the level of of sadness or anything that a lot of other that I felt when I've seen other tragedies happen to, 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 to black men or somebody else get killed by the police. And then I wondered, I was like, wow, I wonder if this is how they feel when, because I try to put myself in other people's shoes. Like, I wonder if this is how people feel when they watch a black lives matter person be a, be a shot. And it's like, but, but then I'm like, it's different. Because this person was minding their own business, walking down the street in a hoodie, and then the police came to come bother them as opposed to it being the other way around. Um, but I wanted to move on to a man's name that we do need to know, Mr. Brian Sicknick. He was a Capitol Police officer, and he ended up dying as a res- after he got hit in the head, well, or hit just in general, with a fire extinguisher by those same people running into the Capitol. And they're calling it a protest, but it wasn't a protest. It was an insurrection. It was an, it was an attempted coup. So like, I'm just, this is the part where like hypocrisy bothers me so much, Ralph, because I'm like, what happened to all of that blue lives matter talk? What happened to it? Because they're like, Oh, we're, we're law and order. Um, the uh, Colin Kaepernick and these athletes are desecrating our flag and our nation by how they're acting. But then some of these people, they took down the American flag and put up a damn Trump flag. And I'm so I'm confused. Like the hypocrisy bothers me. And you had a Capitol police officer die. But but you told me that blue lives matter. But it, I, apparently it only matters. And then it's like comply and don't die with Ashley Babbitt. But it only matters when it applies to, to them, apparently. Uh, I think a lifetime of being a sports fan and you being a professional athlete could have prepared you for, for things like this. Because when you really think about it, it's, it's red versus blue. Just in real life, not on, a, not on a grass field. Like you have the same sets of fans walking away from every game saying the refs screwed us right um people are people are innately lobbyists for their own self-interest and there's always an asterisk on this i back the blue so long as they are protecting me from you i support the president 
so long as he supports or someday she my interests it, there's there is always a caveat nothing is unconditional ever and so you know everybody is a fan of the police until the authority the state of authority and the state of things adversely affects them you know i think i i I hear uh, this is the, the best example I can think of is every parent wants their kid to be honest. Every single parent wants their kid to be honest. And the number of times in your life that you will see your own parent in position to deal with somebody who has authority over them is got to be less than 10 in a lifetime. Yeah. When will you see your parent deal with their boss, deal with a cop, deal with a firefighter? Um, or, or, or anybody who is in charge of them. It rarely ever happens. Yeah. So when, when you're like, let's say I'm in the backseat and my dad gets pulled over and it's the only time that I'm ever really going to see my dad deal with an authority figure. And he spent my entire life trying to tell me to be honest. And he was going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. And the officer asks him, do you know why I pulled you over? And he says, no. Right. Everybody's yep. just a lobbyist for their own self-interest. Your values get put to the test when you are in a, uh, a position of having that authority and that authority figure adversely affect you. They respect authority because they don't feel like they're in the way of it. They respect the train because they don't feel like they're laying on the tracks. That is a perfect example. That's a perfect example. Yeah, it's easy to say respect authority when you don't feel like the authority is running over you. But when you feel like the authority is running over you, then you're like, no, we must buck the authority. So that's why it's important to see where other people are coming from and see it from their their shoes. But the man who um, ended up getting Brian Sicknick killed, the man who riled everybody up is Donald Trump. And and those and those people that were trying to go into the Capitol. They told the Capitol Police officers, they told them, move out the way. We we don't want you. We want the people inside. What do you what do you think that they were going to do to the people inside? What do you think that they were going to do to Nancy Pelosi, to to Mike Pence, to um, uh, Mitch, Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham or Mitt Romney? What were they going to do? To them, they weren't trying to just go have a damn convert conversation. And the person that riled them up was Donald Trump. And then he got kicked off of Twitter for saying absolute ridiculous things. And then he comes out with that video yesterday. And I was like, to me, it looked like a hostage video because I was, I tweeted, I said, what the hell made him be willing to say these things out loud on camera? I couldn't, I still don't know to this day. I'm like, what could, what could they have told him? that he would come on and say that probably the most presidential thing that he said his whole career. You don't have the ability to fundraise if you don't have access to the audience that you fundraise off of. And so if it's wholly dependent upon him, at least attempting for five minutes in front of a camera to toe the line, um, in order to get access back to, to, to the audience that, that, that he's able uh, to fundraise off of. And that ultimately gives him the, the power that he has. He's an incredibly powerful man. Um, then you're going to do what it takes. You remember when that access Hollywood video dropped, he sat down in front of a camera and he never said, he's sorry. He's not a guy that says he's sorry, but he said, I'm not a perfect man. 
and there was a tone change, right? Several different times during this presidency, there's been a, a tone change, but you, everything always regresses to the mean. And and I want I want to say this because it, for for anybody that thinks that he understands the gravity of the situation, that people who were wearing his name on scarves and hats and shirts and carrying flags with his name died. There was a woman who was trampled to death while holding a don't tread on me flag. There was a man, there was a man who went to the Capitol for revolution. And then the moment that it started to jump off, his heart couldn't handle it. Because honestly, George, these are not people who are ready for a revolution. These are not people who are like Al-Qaeda and ready to live in a cave. They got air conditioning and lifted trucks, and they eat 4,500 calories a day and dip everything twice in salted butter. <laughs> this is going to be – this is the softest attempt at a revolution in the history of the world. And when all those angry people broke into the Capitol, what did they turn into? They looked a lot like all those sorority girls that were Arizona Diamondbacks games all taking selfies that we all made fun of. <laughs> That's what it turned into. They're so comfortable. They're not ready. They're not ready to be in caves. They're not ready to be in hiding. They're not ready to be uh, like the the Olympic Park bomber uh, who was hiding in the North Carolina woods for years before he was caught. It's not like that at all. These are a comfortable people who have been riled up. And it's incredibly tragic that that type of rhetoric makes them think that they're going to be able to go and get anything done. And the moment that they do, the moment that they get past security, the moment that they create the biggest security breach in centuries in American history, the person who led them to that point turned around and called them criminals. And now they're going to be hunted down one by one in their hometown and they're still supporting them which is the crazy part that's what makes it like a cult i wondered after he made that hostage video if people who supported him and were there would be like did he just turn on us and i'm like yes he turned on you he will do what's in his best interest he turned on mike pence he turned the mob on mike pence and the most important thing to him is him that's the only it's the only thing that matters and and when we, and it's just like you're talking about with the, the authority figures um, and, and all of a sudden turning on the authority figures, the people who love Donald Trump, and there are a lot of people who legitimately love Donald Trump. They love what he stands for. They love his policies. They love that he bulldozed um, a, a path for them to be relevant. And one of the most important things in the world, they love that he hates the same people that they hate. Yep. And that's, I'm not talking about racism. I'm not talking about prejudice. I'm talking about just political enemies, people they're annoyed by, Zoomers, people with purple hair, people who whine, the (laughs) nanny state, the people who dress in black and smash windows and have been doing it for 35 years just because they like the action. All of those people that nobody ever does anything about, all of a sudden the most powerful man in the world hates them too, just like you do. And they support that. They support that. And and I just – I feel bad for them because he he just never – loved them back not not at all he loved them as much as he loved them as far as they could take him and it's the end of the road yep um now we can move on to a lady who doesn't who loves herself as well is maya Ponsetto. so if you guys haven't seen the video i will tag the video in the uh in the description so she's the lady who was in new york city and she attacked a a 14-year-old, a 14-year-old kid trying to take his damn phone, trying to act like it was her phone, and said that he stole her phone. And she wouldn't 
he wouldn't give it to her. His dad was like, no, you don't have to give it to him. All of that. She tackles the kid. And then, um, and now she had an interview with get waxy. She's been arrested now, but, um, (laughs) but she had an interview with Gail King today. And here is what she did. She was so out of pocket for this. Here, I'm going to show you the video of what she did to Gail, Gail King. It made me laugh. I was watching it. I was like, oh, hell, no, no, she didn't. She's lucky she was not in person with Gail King. Here it is. I get it. Enough. The hotel like, no, did stop, have my stop. phone. The hotel did end up having my phone. I get, I get it. Enough. The hotel like, no, did stop, have my stop. phone. The hotel did end up having my phone. I get, I get it. Enough. The hotel like, no, did stop, have my stop. phone. The hotel did. Ralph, she told Gail King <laughs> enough. Dude, dude, I just visually like imagined. You can't do that to no black woman, man. I don't even know how many women you can do it to in general. But a black woman being like <laughs> enough. And, I mean, Gail King stood in front of R. Kelly when he was getting upset. So imagine how she would have took this little 22 year old obnoxious arrogant no self uh awareness having little teeny bopper i just i i cannot i've never seen anybody fumble the bag like that you tackled a 14 year old and accused them of a crime they did not commit a crime not only was that 14 year old a different race than you and not only is this a hot national topic that 14-year-old was the son of a well-known jazz musician, and the entire thing was caught on camera. And you are given the opportunity with the biggest audience possible to show contrition and just let people know, like, hey, y'all, I'm not racist. I needed my phone back, and I made some really bad decisions. And Gail King in that moment was saying, you don't seem sorry. And the way that you take that opportunity in front of that giant audience to say, I'm not racist, is you as a 22-year-old in a call-her-daddy hat, crush <laughs> Oprah's best friend in front of the world. Ooh, and people like Gail King because she gives objective interviews, dude. And, like, I knew... T- uh, stuff was gonna go wrong for her when she came out in that damn daddy hat. I was like, and the dumbass glasses that you can see through that you know are just there for aesthetics. They, I'm not even sure if they had lenses in them. I was like, no, she didn't come out here in a daddy hat. She could have, she could have ended this like you said so quickly. She could have just said, all right, look, I messed up. I shouldn't have did this. I, 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 you know. I messed up pretty, pretty badly. I'm sorry to, to the kid. I screwed up. But that's not what she did. And then come to come find out, this little, this little thing, Miss, Miss Woman, two DUIs in 2020. Two DUIs. And her and her mom, uh, and she got arrested for allegedly being drunk at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills. Come on, man. I, and, and I don't want to hear... Oh, she's got a problem. Like, no, sorry, you're you're a grown ass woman. When you do things, there are consequences. I don't care. Oh, she got problems now. She's got some problems. She got a case. 
I will say this. I think this might be the most culturally relevant moment of sass since the whole cash me outside thing. And, uh, Oh, it might, it might catch on like that. Oh, I just, that. And then the the thing about like the (laughs) thing that nobody's talking about is her lawyer, her poor lawyer turns to her and says, stop. And in the same motion, she gives a head nod to her lawyer. Like, and you too, you can shut up too. It was, I mean, it wasn't, incre- I'm, I'm genuinely impressed that if you were going to go out like that, that you, you went all the way out. Oh yeah, dude. She, she took it to the absolute max. And so she gets whatever is coming to her. Now, I guess on to the sports side of this program. Um, we wanted to, there, there was a man who spent a lot of time in sports. He passed away late last night, and that's Tommy Lasorda, Dodgers manager. He passed away. I mean, and he was the manager for the Dodgers for an extremely long time. He was a person who was an advocate for, uh, yeah, he was the manager from 77 to 96. He was an advocate for baseball in the communities, did a lot of charity work, helping to raise money for baseball fields to get rebuilt. And he led the Dodgers to World Series in 1981 and 1988, which people will famously remember for the Kirk Gibson home run. And people saying that that was the worst team to ever win a World Series in the history of life, in the history of baseball. But, um, yeah, it, it and, yeah, and Rob Manfred, uh, baseball commissioner, made a statement. He said it feels appropriate that in his last moments – he saw his beloved Dodgers win the World Series for the first time since his team in 1988, especially after being cheated out of the World Series t- twice. And I'm a Dodger fan, so I get okay. it. I get it. So, it, you know, that's a l- little bit of solace. He was probably like, yo, I can die a little bit more in peace right now. Yeah, um, it's it's really sad. Um, he's, he, I think that he's somebody – He's somebody that when you think about, you just kind of like pep up a little bit. Like he's he's so cool. Like when I when I was in elementary school getting Sports Illustrated for kids, um, you know there would always be Tommy Lasorda stuff on there. He was in commercials. He was personable. He was fun. While everybody has debated all of the different ways to get people more interested in baseball or what ways to improve the game will bring a younger audience. The thing that always crosses my mind, the number one thing that I never hear people talk about is the personality of the managers. Yep. Because I was an enormous baseball fan as a kid. Enormous. It was the first sport that I ever loved. Um, Tony Gwynn is my guy. I watched every single Braves game in the summer uh, at my grandparents' feet for years. I can name every single player that played in that infield through the entire nineties. And, uh, I only remember the names of four managers from when I was a kid. The, when the diamondbacks finally got a team, I was a huge Tony Gwynn fan. I don't even know who managed him in San Diego. Yeah. I know Tommy Lasorda because he was a big personality and I knew who the Yankees and Braves managers were. That's it. Brian. Yep. Brian Cox. Um, yeah, Jim Torrey. Yep, and then I knew the 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 Braves pitching coach Noel Mazzoni because he just rocked on the bench 
the whole yeah. time. That's really all you get. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. Those that well, and and I knew Whitey Ford because his name just sounded so like uh oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, so that one uh, rang rang to me for some reason. I don't know why though. Um, the well, no, there was a there was Sparky Anderson, right? Yes, yeah, Sparky. Cool yep. Name. That's just it. Like it it used to be a really big deal to manage a baseball team the way that we have entire industries dedicated to coaching searches in college and pro football. Um, that used to be like, it just used to be such a big deal to be the head of a baseball team. You were the face in front of the media. You were the, cause a, a lot more people read about baseball than really even got to watch it. So you kind of had to be a personality. You had to be out there and baseball just got so uniform and robotic and a little bit boring. And the humor got a little bit dry and the, and the personalities got less and less and the risk to the brand got greater and greater. And, uh, it just, you know, there, I just wish there were more Tommy Lasorda's out there having fun. Because it's a game, and uh, yeah, I think that would make baseball a whole lot better. He made baseball great. Uh, I would agree with that. Uh, the last thing we got up today is Deshaun Watson is pissed off, and he has a right to be, in my opinion. It, so the Houston Texans, they just gave him a big, huge extension, and instead of consulting him mind you he brought general manager candidates and head coaching candidates to the Houston Texans he said that through his people that he didn't expect them to necessarily hire his folks but at least give him an interview and I thought that it was I thought it was absolute craziness that the Houston Texans that they wouldn't even consider it and it's basically uh, you know, evident of how they've been running the, the franchise. They let Bill O'Brien trade away DeAndre Hopkins and a second round pick for for a running back that Arizona didn't even want in David Johnson. They didn't even want David Johnson anymore. And like you just continuously make foolish moves like that. And for I think for Deshaun and for other players, the biggest crime of this whole thing is that, and the stupidest thing is this, they interviewed head coaching candidates before they hired a general manager. Like, what? What? That's the first thing. And then the second thing is, you didn't even interview, request to interview Eric Bieniemy. What? And Deshaun Watson wanted him interviewed. You saw what he's done with Patrick Mahomes. And you don't even interview this dude. Something is wrong. This franchise is broken. They deserve whatever they get. Would you do whatever he says? Like Deshaun no. Watson. Okay. How much power should Deshaun Watson have in in that franchise? I think because oh, I'm not objective. Oh, over I'm not objective a, when it comes to him. Over. Over roster or management changes, I think that in the decision-making process, he should have about a fifteen percent sway. Fifteen percent, like I would say, twenty-five percent sway on roster, fifteen percent sway on like hiring, uh, hiring of upper management. Do you think that they should be able to make any hires without his? final blessing because you're, you're saying he should at least be in the room where it happens a little hamilton reference yeah. are you saying 
are you saying that he should he be able to get veto power? No, or should they no, bring two absolutely. candidates and say which one do you like more? No, I think that he should have some input on the decision. Think about this: Michael Jordan would not have hired Phil Jackson. He already said in the last yeah. dance he didn't he didn't want him. So. So that and other coaching hires prove that coach that players don't always know best. However, they that your best player, especially when they're a smart player, intelligent player, like somebody that you feel adds value, like you shouldn't ask Antonio Brown. You know what I mean? But you should ask Deshaun Watson, and his opinion should hold some sway in what you decide to do. It shouldn't be the ultimate decision or even necessarily a huge factor but it should i mean like about who should be the general manager 15 percent. like let him meet the guy and say oh well here's how i think the players are going to respond to the guy that way then you get a feel for your locker room or at least the players that the general manager is going to most deal with i think that that's important yeah i i think you know i'm not sure tom brady ever had that in in new england because he was always married into the situation that he was married into and they don't really have you know maybe he had some say in who oh i think he did position coach or something like that um but it wasn't it wasn't like he could go to robert Kraft and say you got to get rid of bill belichick it was never anything like that and so i think deshaun watson is special i think he's a top five talent yeah i am one of those protect him at all costs people um but you can't turn it into I, James Harden, though. I feel so bad for the city of Houston right now. They got two disgruntled <laughs> superstars, the two underperforming teams that should be a lot better than they do, and just completely dysfunctional franchises. Um, if there is an easy way to not upset your superstar, you should always choose the path of least resistance. I don't understand creating an issue where there is none. And I just think he is so good. He had the best bad year ever. This is the best bad year of all time. He had the best quarterback numbers of any, not just losing team, but like bottom feeder team. Yes. They got, what, they got the third pick. Yeah. Third pick. Yeah. How could, like, and, and that's telling- a, like you would think that your quarterback played bad or marginal. No, he played excellent. Yeah, and it's not like the NBA. It's not like Russell Westbrook going out there giving you 20, 20, and 20, and you can still find ways to poke holes in his game and say that it was his fault that the team lost and that he's not a good enough leader. No, this is a quarterback in the NFL who is playing almost perfect with bad teammates. You cannot afford for him to be disgruntled. You just can't. Yep. Yeah, and – they can get rid of him for a $21 million cap hit. And if I am the, and my, mind you, so this is an organization that does foolish things. So if I'm the Jaguars, I'll call you up and be like, hey, yo, yo, I give you this number one pick with Trevor Lawrence. I'll give you the number one pick. You give me Deshaun Watson. And then, and, and then if they say no, I'll say, okay, look, I'll give you the number one pick and the number 21 pick. Just give me Deshaun Watson. Would you, if you were Houston, would you take that? If you were Jacksonville, would would you take that? I would take Deshaun Watson over the number one pick in the draft. There are not many quarterbacks in the NFL 
that I would take over the ability to have Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. It's not 1A, 1B for me. It's like 1 and 2. But uh, I would take Deshaun Watson over them in a heartbeat. Yes, he's a, a known quantity. Fan. Yeah, I'm a Cardinals fan. When I found out he was upset, even though Kyler Murray is having like historic offensive numbers. You're like, switch him. two years. <laughs> You're oh like, my God. In give, a second. Give, give him and, and a pick. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll take the six-foot three guy over the five nine guy who can do the they can do he can do the exact things that Kyler Murray can do except better he's incredible he's just an incredible quarterback and uh and he's doing it post injury and he seems to be just an incredible ambassador yeah and uh yeah I would give up I would give up a lot I would give yeah. I would definitely give up more than we got uh gave up to get DeAndre Hopkins <laughs> Exactly. You guys, though, um, thank you guys for listening to Reister or Wrong. I'm George Reister. He is Ralph Amston. Make sure that you guys download the podcast, wherever podcasts are found. And most importantly, share with a friend. Uh, Have a great weekend. Peace out. Catch you guys next week.